sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Welcome to the house of God. I'd like to welcome the visitors. Thank you for joining us today. I have a message this morning. The Lord directed me to uh, teach. So by His grace, I will endeavor to do that. And the title of the message is taken from a verse in Colossians. It's just this statement, Let your speech be always with grace. I'd like to speak on our speech, our words, our tongue. Now, part of the background that led me to this, I have heard from various ones of you in the fellowship here some desire for teaching on child training, on relationships, perhaps on marriage. And as I was pondering all of that, I settled on this topic, which is not specific to any one of those, and yet is so intimately related to all three of those topics. Uh, Perhaps not so much child training directly, but as you know, as parents, it is very important how we speak and the things we say and and also what we teach our children. Um, So kind of keep those in mind. We're going to this morning in the teaching here on our words will probably be more applicable to relationships and perhaps even to marriage relationships. But looking at what the scripture says about our speech and our words and how that affects our relationships. For our text, I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. Now this message, I will endeavor to make it practical in the sense that there are principles in the scripture that are laid out and they need to have a practical application in our life. In other words, we can talk about theories and we can talk about uh, concepts and theology, but that needs to work itself out in a very practical way in how we live our lives. 
And the scripture is very clear in many times and places where it talks about our words and our tongue and how that should be uh, controlled. So let's read our text here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and following. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. That he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, in this passage, there are various admonitions and and areas of life that are spoken to, but the one about speech is prominent in this passage, repeated several times and some details given. I'd like to look at it specifically. The title that I chose for the message comes from Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. But in our text here in Ephesians, in verse 29, the phrase would be in the negative, but it's very similar in thought where it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So we should not have corrupt communication. We should have communication or words, our speech, be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, for a bit of background on where we're starting with this message... In verse 22, it says that he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. So that's referring to our manner of life prior to having been born again, or born from above, where God comes with a transformation in our life and puts grace into us. Or, shall I say, he... He provides grace. He provides the power to change. He puts a new man inside. And he refers to that here. Verse 24, that he put on the new man. So 
There is a work of God that takes place in the heart of a man when he is born again, born from above. It changes his character, it changes his thinking, and he is able, with grace, to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And then our speech is changed to something that is pleasing to God. And it's described here exactly, or in very much detail, what that looks like. No more do corrupt things come out of our mouth, or they should not. Now James talks about that in his epistle very clearly. He says, can uh, a fountain bring forth both sweet water and bitter? And he says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And it's in the context of our speech. We should not be having bitter words at one time and then sweet words at another time. And God rather would have us to have sweet water all the time. In Ephesians here, it gives it as something that we work on. We put off concerning the former conversation. Now I talked about God doing a work, and that is true. God does the work, and without that, we will not get anywhere. But we also need to apply ourselves. We cooperate with God, allowing him to transform us and change our manner of life to something pleasing to him. And one of the things he works on is to give us grace so that our speech is something that gives life, that is good for those who hear us. It administers, as it says here, which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And as I've studied that word grace, I find this is the only two places, I believe, in the New Testament where the concept could be gotten that we give grace to someone else. In all other cases, grace is something we receive from God. But here it would imply almost as though there was an element of that grace that is transferred to others, or at least it is evident in operation that the grace of God is operating in my life, and I can therefore speak kindly, I can speak things that edify And the corrupt things should not be found there. We have the word corrupt in verse 22. That he put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The way we used to talk. The old man. Those things come from a corrupt source. And, they, and our corrupt life does not generate good things. And so the things that corrupt, the communication that comes out of our mouth, should be born out of that spring, that wellspring of the life of Christ in us, and not from the old man.
Now he says here, in verse 26, he talks about uh, anger. Be ye angry and sin not. In verse 31, he talks about wrath and anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you with all malice, along with malice, malice being put away along with the others, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This matter is so important that Jesus said clearly that by our words we would be justified and by our words we would be condemned. It is a very serious matter before God. It is an indication of what is inside. Proverbs 13.3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. We're also told that we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And we, time would fail us to list all the passages of Scripture that talk about corrupt communication or what is right communication in minister's life. Now we have in our, in our daily life, we have many things that come to us and we have many words. And they are born out of the things that are in our heart and, and in, our, in our speech. Or in our, our speech reflects what is in our heart. And we have a choice to cultivate the good and reject the evil. Or we can just kind of let the flesh have its way. And this passage is, is addressing that very issue that we ought not to let the flesh have its way. We should be allowing our speech to be formed in the likeness of Christ. I'd like to give just some practical illustrations of how we how we go about our our life and and there are feelings. We have feelings that arise and it dresses here anger. Anger tends to bring forth words. And while my point this morning isn't particularly on anger, we are going to talk about that a bit as it relates to those feelings that prompt our words. And stir in our heart and tend to generate these, these kind of feelings. Starting with an example from my recent experience here this past week, I was frustrated by some things that were kind of little. But it kind of works this way. I one of the days as I was working at home there on our homestead, I wanted to clean something. And so I went to the hydrant where the water was and, and I wanted a brush to clean whatever it was, a shovel or bucket or something. 
Now this is a frequent occurrence on the homestead there, and we have a number of hydrants. And a few years back, I thought we were going to solve this problem. I went and bought a brush for every hydrant and a place to hang it, and it was equipped so that just in cases like this, there it would be. There it is. But I come to the hydrant and no brush. Okay. I have schedules to meet. This is only supposed to take three minutes. If I don't get it cleaned, as something is neglected, and why isn't there a brush here? And, and so I go to the second hydrant to find it. Nope, none there either. I go to the third one. Nope, none there either. And the fourth one, no, none there either. And, you know, the, the feelings are just, at each turn, you know, they're just... And, and not only this, I have appointments to meet. There's a tire to take down to repair because it was flat. And one of the children was not very cooperative. And the breakfast was none too good either. And... Life is hard, and, you know, if it would help to scream, I, I might try it. You know how that the feeling just... Okay. It doesn't help to scream, does it? No. No, that's not going to help at all. In fact, it's not going to help to get angry. It's not going to fix anything. It's not going to make my day go better. But there are those feelings. What are you going to do? Now, you know, we can kind of chuckle because this seems so, so trivial. You know, life, life has many serious things and this is just so trivial. But it's, it's these little things, you know, that ought to be different. And you tried to make it different. And here we are. And the little saying comes to mind where it's the little things that trouble us and put us on the rack. You can sit upon a mountain, but not upon a tack. And so the temptation is to think, okay, this somebody is to blame. And so what is my temptation is to tell somebody how wrong they were about, you know, mislaying this brush. Why isn't it here? What? Why can't, you know, why, why, why? And so it's these little things, and we, we come to, um, well, let's just, let's just unpack this a little bit. Because your case last week wasn't a brush, but it probably was something. You have all kinds of irritations, you have setbacks, you have things that didn't go like they were supposed to. Uh, there was people that did things to you or didn't do things they should have, and, and on and on it goes. So now I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm missing this brush, and words of blessing are not the first thing that come to mind. Uh, maybe not even the second thing that comes to mind. But let's look at the big picture here. 
Is there a cause for me to get frustrated? Because if I look at the big picture of life, you know, I could list in a short time on on one day about a dozen things that don't suit me or didn't go well or wasn't what I should have had or and on and on. But what about the thousand and one things that were blessings, that went well, and that I could appreciate? In this case, for example, I have multiple places on my property where I can just open a spigot and out rushes the water. I don't have to walk a quarter mile to the river and haul it back to, uh, to have water. Shouldn't I be so grateful, you know, that I can overlook the, the missing brush? And on and on our minds can go. My point here is that at some, at some level, we make choices how we're going to face life and what things are going to just set us off. Or, and if it's not a brush, and if it's not the words your spouse said, it will be something. You will be tested, and you can have a choice whether you will allow this to generate bitterness in your mind, whether it will cause you to give sharp words. Um, And so, if in the moment when the brush is missing, I remember that it was my fault. Oh, I mislaid it yesterday or last week. I know where it is. And oh, well, so this is disappointing, but I'm not too, uh, um, I don't chide myself, although I might maybe mildly, oh, I should have brought it back. But the, the, that kind of that spirit is when it's someone else's fault, you know, they should know better. I give myself a bit of a pass, but I'm not so ready to give someone else a pass when they've done it. You see how that that spirit of... And so, I might go to my family or to the ones I think are responsible for this and I could angrily ask, why aren't there... Who took the brush away? I mean, who did this? You know that, the who done it kind of thing. I've got to find out because we've got to fix this problem. You know, there's a sweet way to go about it. And what have I allowed my spirit, where have I allowed my spirit to go that that directs what I say and how I speak? And as I, I think about matters like this, you know, so this, the example I pulled out is trivial, Okay. But you just put in the things you face. And you might say, well, mine are much more serious. And that's it's true. There are a lot more serious things in life. But are you going to allow that to cause corrupt communication to come out of your mouth? Because getting angry, chiding someone... Um, 
letting everyone know you're upset, that is not working the righteousness of God. That is not sowing peace, and that is not sowing... um, It's not edifying. Now, at some level, it is a problem, yes. And it could be addressed, but it could be addressed with kindness. It wouldn't be that hard, really. Uh, You might say something like, you know, if, um, like, does anyone know what happened to the brush? Uh, It seems missing, and it's a bit inconvenient for me. Well, you're not necessarily blaming someone. Uh, You yourself might be guilty. You ought to remember that, you know, at least in the back of your mind. Uh, And and it would, oh, well, maybe somebody knows. Or maybe someone has an explanation. And and we can, it might actually generate a little honest sympathy, you know, to try and be helpful you know, to help find this, or maybe next time I should put it back, and, and all those things, you know, those, it might be necessary to work on those things, but it is always a choice we have as to how we're going to respond to these, um, to these things. Let no corrupt communication. I'm going to talk about anger a bit here. In verse 26, be ye angry. It is given almost like a commandment. Really? How is this? And this has been puzzled over much. But here is my understanding of that verse. Anger is a, an emotion that is stirred up in our mind, our hearts, minds, whatever, because of something that we don't like or that was hurtful to us. And those feelings rise sometimes very quickly, just that, oh, it's terrible. What, so what does it say here? It says, be angry and sin not. And I think what that means is those feelings that rise up quickly and, and just those, that emotion of anger is not something that we should allow to control or dictate what we do or what our response is. Instead of allowing that rising of our feeling, there should be a, put a lid on it. Wait, you know, just stop. Don't go that way. And we may think that maturity in the spiritual life will make those things disappear, like those feelings will never come up. Well, you might solve the issue with the brush, that it can just be a non-issue the next time, and you might fix this or that, but there will be times when that feeling just, you know, just comes. And that's where you just don't allow it to rise and keep going. You just put a stop to it. And he says in verse 27, well, to finish there in verse 26, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Meaning, don't allow it to turn into bitterness, as in verse 31. 
Anger that's just allowed to simmer there turns into bitterness. And we should not allow that to happen. We should keep those feelings as short as possible and sin not. He says in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. And I think that's speaking to the fact that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you allow those elevated feelings to reside there, you will go into sin. Your your words, your actions will then bear fruit as you allow that anger to stay there, that those roused feelings. Some Christians have tried to justify a certain levels of anger by saying, well, here, you know, here's the verse, be angry and sin not. So it's okay for me to be angry uh, it's, you know, within certain bounds. Uh, that's not really what that verse is saying. I think it's acknowledging that that emotion can be there, and, but there is a Christian way to deal with that, and that is when those things come, they rise up, Stop. Okay. Maybe as we would say, take a deep breath and get over it. (laughs) You know, just get over it. Life is not fair. And, And don't allow it to to move on into angry words. Let's look further down here in verse uh, 31. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 